Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible and fall in love with Jesus. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so incredibly glad that you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I personally am looking at a little uh, thermometer on my screen that says negative one degree. It's a very cold day in Wisconsin, but it's sunny, so there's something to be thankful for. There's actually lots and lots of things to be thankful for, but I hope that maybe, just maybe, it's a little warmer where you're listening, and if not, again, find something good to look for and be thankful for. Today, we are going to talk about how to cultivate an obsession with your Bible. I'm going to share a list that was compiled by my dear friend, Dakota Campbell. She was on the podcast a few months ago. Um, and talked about journaling in an interview that we did. She had so many good things to share. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, I will link to it in the show notes. Do yourself a favor and listen. Before I get started talking about how to cultivate an obsession with your Bible, I just want to share that God has been reminding me over and over the last few weeks of the reason that he laid both the book, Unedited Hope and Healing Through the Simple Habit of Bible Reading and Prayer, and the podcast on my heart, and that is simply to help and inspire others to establish the life-changing habit of Bible reading and prayer. My words really can't change your life, but God's word will undoubtedly change your life. And so I just want to say that very plainly. I know I say it in the intro every week, but that is the goal and the purpose and the hope of these projects that God has laid on my heart. And so today I'm going to share a list about how to cultivate an obsession with your Bible. And for the purpose of this episode, what do I mean by obsession in general? I looked up some um, definitions of the word obsession this morning and just a few things that I would say kind of define what I'm talking about when I say obsession, a fascination, a preoccupation, a fixation, to be consumed with the Word of God and enthusiasm. And then I love this, to preoccupy or fill the mind of someone continually, intrusively. To preoccupy or fill the mind of someone continually. And that is what I want for my Bible, for Jesus, for His Word, for His presence. Just this intense hunger and desire and passion and obsession And so I'm going to read you this list, How to Cultivate an Obsession with Your Bible. Carry it with you everywhere. Vacation, church, appointments, lunch with friends. You don't know when you'll need to access it. Read it first. Read it for pleasure, like a novel. Listen to it on a Bible CD in your car, 
or a dramatized version, listen to the daily audio Bible app, invest in a good quality Bible that you love. I second that wholeheartedly. Write it down, copy it, journal about what you find in it. Approach it like treasure, a gold mine. You are digging for treasure every time you open it. Talk about it. Want to get together for coffee and talk about what we're reading in the Bible lately? Teach it. Bible study anyone? Read it as a bedtime story to your kids. Go to it when you have a question about something or when you need advice. Read it when you are upset or discouraged. Read it on your lunch break. Read it before bed. Choose it over blank. And each of us has to fill in that blank. What pacifies you? Where do you spend most of your time? Read it aloud at home. Memorize it. Quote it to your kids and to yourself. Lay it open on your counter while cooking, etc. Own it. Write in it. Our pastor said, until you write in a book, you don't really own it. Share it. Promote it. Psalm 119. Dakota did this. She wrote down one verse every day. Just copy it down to help build the discipline of daily Bible reading. Hug it. Hold it. Cry over it. Let it comfort you. I adore that list. So practical. Just such beautiful and simple ways. Little things that we can do to cultivate an obsession with our Bible. And I would add, slow down with your Bible. Let it talk to you. Ask questions of it. Speak to it as you read it. Let it speak to you. And I just want to share a couple things that I'm currently doing to intensify my hunger for the Word of God. Our church is doing a David journal. And wow, oh my word, every day we've been reading two chapters in First or Second Samuel and then the corresponding psalms. It's like one or two, maybe three psalms a day that correspond to things happening in the life of David. And oh my word, do stories of the Bible just increase my hunger for God? They give me such hope. We see these people who lived imperfect, chaotic lives that went down ultimately as heroes of the faith. And it is just fueling my hunger and love for the word of God. Also, my church is memorizing Romans 8, and I am memorizing along with others. We're on verse 3 this week. It's going to be 39 weeks, one verse a week. I am so excited to be memorizing this amazing chapter. And something else that I have really been trying to do to cultivate a hunger and obsession with the Bible is to pick up my Bible instead of my phone in the little moments. I used to do this. I would read my Bible on my lunch break. I would read my Bible just here, there, and everywhere. It wasn't just in the mornings. And I think over the years, social media has taken more um, of my time. Other things, just busyness and distractions and probably trials have just kind of taken me away from that habit of picking up my Bible in the middle of my day. And I've been very intentionally doing this. And God has so deeply ministered to me through just that intentionality of choosing my Bible over my phone. Incredible, incredible little moments that have come out of that and incredible thoughts that I've written about, preached myself sermons out of some of those moments. And today I'm going to share one of those little thoughts with you that was born out of that thing that I'm doing 
picking up my Bible instead of my phone. Today's unedited journal entry is called Not Like You'd Think. Not Like You'd Think. Last night, laying in bed, I read Acts 6. So wanting to increase my hunger for the Word of God and read it in all the nooks and crannies of my days again. As I read, I was so struck by what an amazing man Stephen was. I think I have often glossed over and skimmed past his story as it's tucked between the day of Pentecost and the conversion of Paul. But wow, what a guy. What a powerful man of God. And the second thing that struck me is the reminder that my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8-9 Stephen is only in the story for two chapters, but the story speaks so highly of him. Stephen shows up on the pages of scripture because there is a complaint that the Greek widows are being overlooked and the apostles decide to look for seven men who can care for them, serve tables, and appoint over the business. The qualification was of good report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. That seems a little overqualified for waiter duty, but the apostles didn't. The multitude is pleased, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, along with six other men. The apostles lay hands on them, pray for them, and immediately we see the church flourish and grow. And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were saved. The services of these seven men is freeing to the apostles and it furthered revival. It made a way for the expansion of the gospel. The very next verse gives more insight into Stephen. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders among the people. He was definitely overqualified for serving, but just serving will never stop God from using an individual. Rather, we see here that serving was just the opportunity God used to bring Stephen's ministry to the forefront. And his place at the forefront got the attention of the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and them of Cilicia and Asia, and they debated with Stephen. But another compliment is written of Stephen. They were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which he spake. The Jews are so antagonized and irritated with him that they arrest him, rile up the crowd, and bring false accusations against him. To say they are angered with him is an underestimate, oh, an understatement. But when they look at him, they saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. I can't seem to figure out exactly what that phrase means, but I do see it's complimentary. In light of the accusations brought against him, the high priest asks Stephen, are these accusations true? Stephen's response is one of the most beautiful, eloquent sermons of the early church. Right there on the witness stands, he begins, men and brethren, fathers, listen up. 
and he continues on summarizing the grand stories and themes of the Old Testament. Not only was Stephen used in miraculous ways, but the man could preach. And he boldly calls the highest Jewish religious leaders out. The Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered, you deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hand of angels. Ouch. They are infuriated. They were cut to their heart and gnashed on him with their teeth. Now we see a picture of Stephen's ministry, and it is powerful. But he, while they were filled with rage, was full of the Holy Ghost and looked steadfastly up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he tells the crowd what he is seeing. This escalates their fury, and they plug their ears, run at him simultaneously, throw him out of the city, and stone him. Random side note. There are enough stories of stoning in the Bible that it seems a little less shocking, but what a brutal and barbaric way to die. What a brutal and barbaric way to kill someone. But this is the death God allowed Stephen to die. A man who is just at the outset of his ministry, a man whose service is affecting the church in a powerful way and facilitating growth, a man who was full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost and full of power, who was doing great wonders and miracles, a man whose preaching was both eloquent and anointed. This man dies at the hand of the Jewish religious leaders, which causes persecution to erupt in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. And this is the whole point God has been highlighting for me. This is not how I would have scripted Stephen's story. Don't expect me to write the story the way you would write the story. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. My thoughts, ways, plans, ideas, insight, knowledge, understanding, and infinite wisdom are so far surpassing anything you could comprehend. Don't expect me to operate from your paradigm. Don't expect me to operate from a human perspective. Don't expect a Hollywood script that gets everything tied up with a pretty bow. You have no clue what I'm up to, what I'm doing behind the scenes in the massive expanse of eternity. Trust what you don't understand. Quite honestly, my human intellect would say, this man's ministry needs longevity. He needs a broader platform. He needs to narrowly escape and go on to preach to the masses until he reaches a ripe old age. That's my thoughts. But God's thoughts were... I'm going to allow the man to pass from this life to eternity and his death will be a greater platform than any he could have in life. His story through the ages will be one of the greatest displays of true Christianity and forgiveness the world will ever know. The most powerful sermon Stephen will ever preach will be this, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. His words sound a lot like the one he followed at his own brutal death. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is the greatest sermon Stephen's life 
could have ever preached. That simple sentence he spoke in the face of a cruel death has said more throughout the ages than a lifelong ministry with thousands of sermons that would have touched the hearers of his day. And one man heard that sentence spoken in real time, and the witnesses laid down their coats at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul was an observer and an accomplice to this gruesome scene, and he heard the sermon preached with Stephen's death. And Saul would, in a few chapters, become Paul. He would have an encounter with Jesus that would take him from persecutor to apostle. And we have no idea how Stephen's death impacted both his life and ministry. God chose a different route for Stephen, a different path than humanity would think or prefer or enact. But God had a plan. And quite probably a plan that we still could never fully grasp on this side of eternity. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. I'll trust when I can't track. And so again, just a little simple thought, not like you'd think. Maybe you are walking through a trial or through some season and it just seems so senseless. And maybe you're questioning unanswered prayers when God hasn't operated the way that seems best to your understanding or to what you would prefer. God doesn't operate according to our preferences. He doesn't operate according to our will or our desires. And again, I think we get so used to Hollywood stories. Our lives are so full of these happy endings that we assume that's how it's always going to be with God. And the happy ending might be on the other side of the Jordan. The happy ending for your story or my story or anybody's story might be in heaven. But God is working from an eternal perspective and he's got everything under control. If you are walking with Jesus, it's not senseless to him. There are truly things that we are just not going to understand in time. Again, he works in ways we least expect and he has the whole picture and he wants to be our obsession on this journey of life, I want to echo the words of Jeremiah. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And your word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. I want him to be my obsession. I want to be obsessed and consumed with his word, Like that definition that I read earlier, I want to be preoccupied and have it fill my mind continually. In closing, I want to read just a little bit of Stephen Curtis Chapman's old song, Magnificent Obsession. It says this, Lord, you know how much I want to know so much in the way of answers and explanations. I have cried and prayed and still I seem to stay in the middle of life's complications All this pursuing leaves me feeling like I'm chasing down the wind, but now it's brought me back to you and I can see again. This is everything I want. This is everything I need. I want this to be my one consuming passion. Everything my heart desires, Lord, I want it all to be for you, Jesus. Be my magnificent obsession. 
Let's be obsessed with our Bibles. Let's allow it to fuel our trust in the sovereignty of a God that we do not always understand. Thank you so much for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or to download a typed or a handwritten transcript of today's entry, you can visit megunedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I so look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is Unedited. This is for you. Happy, wonderful, amazing, joy-filled, trusting God Friday.